Hi, everyone. A couple of days ago, I had a really uh, bouncy conversation with Zeus over the topic of artificial intelligence. And he and I are, have been watching this trend for many years and are on the same page, looking at how we're responding to what's being made available to us right now in terms of in social media and also entertainment. And this came about because of my own emotional reaction to some characters, robotic characters, and a couple of shows that I was watching, uh, they were being streamed. One was called Humans and the other one is Better Than Us. And I found myself empathizing more with the robots. And I thought, hold on a minute, something's askew. I know better, but my emotions are reacting in this way. So I wanted to look at just how deep that programming goes and what it is by way of predictive programming for our futures. So I decided to talk with Zeus about it. So let's go to our conversation. We've both been looking into this and yeah. concerned about it, studying it for a long time. Yep. And recently we've come across, <laughs> I think JP Sears did a really good job of exposing some of the stuff that happened a few years ago. Some things said at world, with the World Economic Forum um, that really just freaked everybody out. And I think they're worth putting up. And there's a reason for that. So why don't you go ahead and just make quick comment. And then I want to talk about some of the entertainment going on right now. Well, we were just earlier talking about the philosophy of science. And a lot of people have a different like philo operating philosophy of the world. And this one is a very strange one. Um, you've seen elements of it um, back in history. You saw it with Barry Shelley's Frankenstein Monster. You saw it with those films that we watched, Metropolis and others where there's a notion of perfection that can be gained by creating, I guess you would say the perfect human in the form of a robot. And Harari and others, the World Economic Forum and this sort of Davos crowd that thinks that actually their, their history is one of eugenics. And some of it is directly traced back then where they could not just make uh, an android perfectly programmable, controllable, predictable Android, but also hack us and begin to change our genes and then begin to change maybe our behaviors of thinking to put, I mean, even Elon Musk was talking about chipping the brain and other things. So there's the, what all of these have in common is a notion of perfection, not based in the spiritual realm or enlightenment, like you and I are more used to, or greater compassion, like the great, you know, Mahayana Buddhists and so forth, but one of a kind of technical, proficient, final, um, endless uh, predictability, predictability and controllability. I think that's the key one. And for me, um, rather recently, we've been talking about this for years. We've we've been looking into how this is expressing itself. And years ago, um, I came across a site called intelligence.org. And it basically showed the close-ups and bios of the people involved in the AI uh, industry and robotics, mostly from MIT. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But now it's coming out in our faces by way of entertainment. So I watch all these shows. I like to see what's going on from, you know, the comedic show Upload, where you upload your consciousness after death into an alt reality <laughs> where you can use devices to still communicate with your loved ones um, to the show Humans um, and also the Russian show. These are similar themes called Better Than Us. And I think that term better than us is the key in exactly what you were talking about earlier because it's putting up these idealized programmable people that are obviously devoid of the human emotions that plague humanity that we have to struggle through as challenges. So let's talk about that trend in general, because I think that is predictive programming because they're saying, hey, why not? These guys are better than us. Right, that's exactly true. And if you look more deeply into what do they mean by better than us, but the people attempting to predict and control us, you and my sovereignty and choice, are operating under a philosophy that we're inferior, and they sometimes even directly say that, yeah. not only to robots, but of course to them, right? Um, because we allow um, emotions to come in, these so-called lower or more animal appetites and emotions to come in. And you and I, both know that those are important 
aspects of our growth. Desire itself is what moves us in a more elevated direction. Um, you know, the pain and suffering and consequences we get from making more lower order to lower frequency decisions. So for perfection for you and I is a developmental recognition of the importance of faith and spirit coming in our higher minds, informing us and programming us, you know, I'm, I'm using that in a funny way, influencing us or imbuing us with a desire or raising our desire to be one of more compassion, one of more goodness, one of more uh, vulnerability, leaning into the challenges, having greater concern. Those things, vulnerability, greater concern, compassion are nowhere near these other people's ideas of perfection. No, they're not. They, they are the opposite. They're like, we're going to extricate like a, like a weird Star Trek. Get rid of all vulnerabilities, all challenge. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that you will, you will have mastery over the physical world. So it's one inherently based on original sin, on a sense of threat, and trying to allay that threat through creating a, a machine or a program or hacking our own genes so we don't get diseases so that we're beyond any of those challenges. Yes, and what's interesting about these programs, they both have the two big ones out right now are humans and better than us. If you can find that, it's a Russian subtitle, it's subtitled, but it's a Russian production. And in each of these, you have uh, robots um, that have been created to help humanity, in one case, sex bots in the Russian one, um, who have by some fluke, or some programming experiment, the ability to develop their own consciousness. And what's interesting in humans, for example, is they learn from, they learn from, they are self-developing, developing their own emotions. They're learning from humans and without, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert can become as violent as humans. They're taking on our traits, which is, that's a fascinating spin that I haven't seen before on these shows. But you're absolutely right. The whole point is to void ourselves of challenging and negative emotions by buying into this notion of synthetics, downloading mm -hmm. ourselves into a, a synthetic. Now, this has been going on for a while. And I think in a moment, we need to show a video clip of one of the people that really has embraced this fully, shall we say, set it up for us. Well, this, these, um, uh, uh, Yuval Noah Harari is an interestingly enough, pretty much a scientific illiterate, but he became enthralled with scientists and he's actually from the humanities and he's become a bit of a guru and or quote a prophet for the World Economic Forum crowd. Now, World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab who runs the Economic Forum actually wrote a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. I mean, they actually wrote, <laughs> wrote a book on this. Their basic driving mentality is to socially engineer a perfect society in which everything is predictable. We did a commercial. Uh, they did a commercial in which they literally said in this commercial, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. I remember that. It's like, and, what? And er you'll rent everything and they're going to be delivered by drones. And they even said things even I as a vegan did not appreciate this. They said, eat less meat. You'd think I'd like that. But then I realized impossible burgers are using it as a way to get genetically modified food and genetically modified organs by selling it as environmentally appropriate and vegan friendly. So, so these are all aspects of, of the social engineering process. And the tip of the top of that iceberg is engineering us as human beings to be almost eugenically, behaviorally, uh, genetically uh, pure, and uh, and they're going to go ahead and do that. In fact, at the end of this video, you're going to see that Harari said not only is faith and uh, free will uh, uh, over, but that the Homo sapiens themselves will be like transformed, and Homo sapiens themselves will be done in a couple hundred years. The hubris and the uh, enormous um, disrespect for humanity. And, <laughs> yes, disrespect that drives this. Here's a guy who 
was literally a scientific illiterate, but got caught up with this fantasy and with these guys, this social engineering project. And one of the things that I found most poignant about what he said, because it gets to the, his personal own lower emotion driven reason to follow this path and be the, the town crier for it, was that he said he would de deny his own homosexuality for many years. But if he had had all the biometric information fed into a computer, that computer would have known more about him than he did. Ostensibly, I assume from that, that that computer could have told him he was gay and get, get, gotten him past his denial. And okay, I'm like, so, yeah, I <laughs> just did an interview with Tannis Hallowell that aired before this one, talking about the incredibly divine nature of the human matrix and body and body intelligence that can reflect back truth in the most sublime levels. What he's saying totally denounces our own native intelligence, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, that, which is crazy. Let's go to that clip. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. And once you have enough such biometric information and enough computing power, you can create algorithms that know me better than I know myself. But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. Evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds. The IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste. People could look back in a hundred years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin. My brain, my body, my life, does it belong to me? or to some corporation, or to the government, or perhaps to the human collective. I mean, in 200 years, I guess there won't be any sapiens left. There'll be something completely different. Wow, that's uplifting. Homo sapiens will not exist, in his opinion, in a couple hundred years. Well, <laughs> okay, well, wishful thinking, dude. Anyway, um, so the thing is, this is being taken very seriously, and whether we know it or not, we are already succumbing to these agendas by being driven, having our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our beliefs driven by algorithms that are just feeding increasingly refined preferences. We are becoming artificial intelligence ourselves. This isn't our own intelligence anymore. And one of the things... Yeah, one of the things you and I talked about just before this is that as this is happening and we're more disconnected from truth and ourselves and each other, we're becoming increasingly depressed statistically. That's a big deal. Go ahead and comment on that, Zeus. I will. I mean, the fact is, it's an inherently disconnecting. Think about the ones and zeros, right? The binary, the black and white that is underlies all computer code language. Think about that impressed on an organic, spiritual, energetic creature and what effect that would have to do. People even just hearing digital music can get digital fatigue in their brain versus analog music because your brain is always being shifted into a one or a zero, a black or a white, an on or an off switch. So, so what it does, and this is what I find offensive about the whole movement, is it debases us into a kind of hyper-materialism that has only two options, a zero or a one, an on or an off switch, or some combination thereof. Yeah. A real quantum spirituality would allow that we could be many of these things at once, and on and off at the same time, which doesn't happen in computers, it would, it would falsify the whole, it would corrupt the whole language, but us as human beings can be, do that. We have that low, lower emotions, but we also have the higher one, 
the higher mind and they're elevated and they're actually talking to each other and existing in us at the same time. We are inherently those quantum creatures, which all this engineering and the uh, genetic tinkering stuff denies. Just not to so, not even, as you say, to not even consider it took millions and millions, billions of years to create this finely tuned matrix that is called the humanoid homo sapiens sapien, which I think exists throughout the universe species mm -hmm. is being completely denied by, uh, like you said, this incredible hubris and arrogance of these people in the scientific community. Yeah. You know what I love about those, because you can always flip those, those humans. And I think I talked about this with you is they teach us about our, our own programming. What I do like about them, even though predictively, entertains us with the notion maybe we'd be better off if we were more like the robots and the robots find out that they're not necessarily better off if they adopt human intelligence because they end up having to contend with the prejudice and the lower emotions but what it does to your point regina is it shows that we are being positioned right now to be extensions of algorithms we are just the consumers i think they call them useless eaters among that group of, George of Green degenerate elite. That's right. Yeah. And, and so we're just consumers and useless eaters. And so just getting algorithms and plant themselves in our brains, even physically, sometimes with chips and so forth, they're entertaining that notion now. Um, then we just become part of the machine, part of a kind of Borg. And that's our purpose. The Borg has got to collect more things. It's got to produce more project. And if there's just too many, too many people and too many, uh, too much is automated for us to have jobs and we can just sit around and collect our paycheck, I guess, in, in form of some kind of basic uh, thing. And you, you look at that and there is no scenario using game theory of choice in which that creates a world that any one of us would consider beautiful or spiritual or high frequency. That's right. what I keep saying. If you, here's my reality test. I consider it mine because I'm the only one that I know have done this. I'm sure others have come up with it. But if you actually get everything you want and it ends in a bad place, you probably don't want to go down that road. <laughs> and that's exactly the test I apply to this. If they got everything they wanted, where would human beings actually end up? They would end up robotically they would end up disconnected and yet thrown together with unconscious algorithms to simply make them function indefinitely. Does any one of you audience or you or me want that? Right. Our, yes. our idea is art, creativity, love, compassion, you know, a greater, sure. a greater humanity, the Aquarius. Right. You know, the exact opposite of that dystopia. <laughs> I agree. So I thought we should have people take, be able to go for themselves and take a look at the face of this. You can look into documents and abstracts by this organization. Now, it, when intelligence.org was first up, as I told you, I went there maybe 10 years ago. You could see the bios of each of these people. And we're going to get into the thing driving it in just a second. Now you can still go to intelligence.org which will be directed to Machine Intelligence Research Institute. Okay, you can see it here. And this is one of the statements we drew out of one of their abstracts recently, talking about their robots and artificial intelligence. And it says, quote, they must reason about themselves as just another physical system made of parts that can be modified. So that's the underlying psychology mm -hmm. in the real people that are creating these real robots, these real ser mm -hmm. quote servants of humanity as the, and that they're training us to become more like ourselves. So why don't you go ahead and take it away on that Zeus, because I really want to get into the big part of this, which has to do with atheism. Yes. And, and there was another term they use, meza-awareness, not meta-awareness, but meza-awareness. And it's really the awareness, internal awareness, uh, like a, a, a self-conscious robot would be a, one with meza-awareness. Mm -hmm. It's basically algorithms learning from themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Setting up a program where algorithms could be self-teaching or self-learning. Obviously, in the dystopian films, they're also self-replicating, you know, and they begin to take over the planet. But this is easily as dangerous, right? You, 
you have the conceit that you could create a predetermined system from our small intelligence and quite dysfunctional intelligence, given what we've done to the environment and what we've done to each other. And through this, create some kind of self-learning perfection <laughs> called meso-awareness that's actually going to improve things. I definitely challenge well, that. Okay, let me ask you this, okay? Yeah. You were just talking about how these algorithms feed on each other and the robots educate themselves. How are we now any different? If we're spending a lot of time interfacing with technology, what are we doing? We're just reinforcing the same thoughts, the same idea, the same preferences, which is making us very brittle, very unable to contend with each other, very unable to contend even with a different point of view anymore, because we've each siloed ourselves. More time you spend, I'm, you know me, I'm dogged about this. The more time you set, spend um, on technology, I think the more siloed a, a human being we become and the more fragile, right. more prejudicial. Right. So let's talk about that. And let's talk it, let's build in the atheistic part because this is really huge. Most of the people involved in these projects are atheists, meaning they don't believe there's anything that transcends this physical form when they die. There is nothing, dust to dust, we're just meat. In that case, how else can you extend life except to turn to the world of science and technology? And that's what they're doing. So go ahead, Zeus. Well, it's much like an addict. You know, you see addicts that, in it, I mean, some of the worst would be like meth addicts. Where they're lying in a gutter, their teeth are gone, and their face is sucked in. And and they're just, it's, it's like hell on earth. And that's really the if you see those posters that's that's the kind of image i associate with this because as i i i gave you that one thing you're walking on your walk showing about it he, but one of these uh, commentators philosophers calls it a dead tool for a dead society and that these tools tend not only to deaden your life but to fragment you and separate you from others yes. because now you have just a relationship with your phone i mean one of the most ersatz example is this we're literally kids at the same table or teenagers texting each other while they're in each other's presence. I mean, that's right. a dramatic example of the loss of unmediated, analog, direct to direct, emotional, lifelike, <laughs> lively interaction. And if we, if we allow ourselves to continue down this road, we will, and with the algorithms pushing us to sharpen our prejudices and sharpen our preferences, then what basis will we have to connect with someone? Opening our hearts, being vulnerable, learning from someone else, being of service to somebody else doesn't come out of our initial algorithms. It's something that we open to and allow us to affect us and then transform our experience and create a circle of life and a circle of energy and service between and care between us and those people and animals and the environment around us. That, this does the exact opposite of all of that. And the most important, this ties into atheism because the most important practical thing you must have to believe in God or higher self or connection to spirit is connection itself, is the ability to be vulnerable open, especially heart-centered, creative and lovingly open, and to actually receive and create a relationship with that thing. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. Men and women, um, during, especially during uh, the pandemic, we're not meeting. There would be an entire year would pass. They did some statistics on it where a man or a woman would not even meet anyone of the opposite sex, not even be around them. Mm -hmm. So you don't have when you have your entire life in the palm of your hand or right in front of you on a screen, there is no incentive to go out and to create actual biological connections with other human beings. And certainly that's a big driver 
of the AI industry, which is going to be sex bots, mm -hmm. virtual reality, mm -hmm. um, sex. That's going to, that is a huge driver. That's a huge driver of VR. We don't even have to leave our homes to find a sex partner. What's going to happen? People are worried about an explosion of the population. I don't think so. I think we're going to go the opposite direction for, in part for so, these very reasons. We don't need each other anymore when we can be perfectly satisfied to create our own little siloed version of who we are, who we think we are and what we like. Right. And, and here's what I think. Here's the draw underneath all of this. Each one of us, you and I, want at some part of ourselves a person who's different than us, but exactly like us, right? Someone we could respond to that gets every need and every desire and wants to fulfill every need that we have and has every one of the same interests and hobbies and gets excited over the same things, the same music. Got a robot and, for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, that, and we even look for that online in dating sites. We're looking yeah. for a match of attributes largely. Very few of us are looking for someone where we have these really important commonalities, say, around faith or spirit, but have a lot of challenges in the other areas that create pain, that create desire, that create want, create a sense of forlornness and angst at times, but nonetheless, right? That desire to connect and try to find some kind of connection. When you have that sex spot or you have something programmed, whether it's through Facebook, just spitting back the same, you know, targeted goods that they think you already want and know, or someone who gives you everything you want and is, can be programmed to give you everything you want sexually as a robot, you're essentially fulfilling that fantasy, right? Of someone different than you, but exactly like you that can fully understand you and fully serve you all your needs and wants. There were a few scenes in the, sh the show Humans, <clears throat> one in which a woman has had some kind of crippling disability. So she has her handsome bot and her husband's working on the police force all day. He's tired. He comes home and he's trying to be a good mate and says, hey, honey, I, I can help move you. You know, I'll help you with that to pick her up and take her into the bathroom. She goes, oh, no, that's OK. Um, Rodney understands me. And that's the robot. She ends up dumping her husband because the robot knows everything she needs. You know, and even when I was watching these, when you have the two central characters, which are both very beautiful females and better than us and humans, I'm thinking, wow, I'd sure like to be like her. <laughs> I'm even falling in love with and pulling for the robots. And I know better. I mean, that's some deep yeah. programming going on there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It is because, because there is a notion of perfection, this ideal or irenic situation in which no pain ever happens, in which everything is perfectly taken care of and anticipated. And, you know, it is our notion of Eden, you know, even biblically along those lines, the Garden of Life did not have us have a knowledge of good and evil, right? We had to eat from the tree of the fruit of good and evil, yes. right? Uh, the fruit from the tree of good and evil, sorry. And that caused pain and suffering. That opened up things. And we felt like we'd fallen, right? We'd fallen from a paradise. And this is one, I think, very misbegotten, but nonetheless understandable way to reachieve Eden. They're, they're going to a notion in which we can be ignorant again, don't have to make weighty choices, don't have to hurt and suffer because everything is met in this sort of idealized, completely predictable, completely controllable environment. But that would it steal the very thing that we are, that would re completely remove our humanity from us and this wonderful experience and journey that we're on. So what you're saying is, enjoy the entertaining aspect of it. And it is because I watch it because I think this is predicting what's going to try to be foisted on us in the future and then go back and get in an argument with your girlfriend, just to know you're real and you're human. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Love, it. Love it. Pinch me. Okay. I'm getting get mad at somebody. <laughs> so, but I mean, it, it, it's good. I was, I was going to say it's funny, but it's also real. And yeah. that is, on the other side of that is we do have to begin to embrace our imperfection and our cranky side, not as an excuse, because we shouldn't make our mates feel horrible, but as, as an important 
inherited right that we have to be imperfect, to be human, to, to actually care and apologize when we've done something wrong. Those are all human things. And in this so-called idealized world, which by the way, would also make us not need to have any God going back to atheism at all, because we're self-sufficient. This world runs itself, provides everything that's needed. You don't have to go to any higher being. You don't have to worry about any sort of lower challenge from your lower being. But then again, what would you be if you were in that, using that same theory? A program, somebody's program, something that someone else has programmed, which is, as I said earlier, you know, I think this is kind of a warning across the bow. We're on our way to that already. So we have to be much more discriminating about what we're buying into and much more attentive to what's intuitively coming up through our body, our spirit, and our minds, and give that precedent over anything we're going to get through a screen of any kind. That's just critical right now. The other thing I wanted to bring up is this. I was just joking about it a bit ago. Maybe they are better than us. Well, no, because there's been an assumption, and there is the assumption in these shows, they show how terrible the human beings are, and that there's violence, there's prejudice, and all the lower human traits in these shows that I call predictive programming, that are predictive programming. And the reality is that's not what humanity is. And I want to just have us take a little side trip quickly to uh, the story of Lord of the Flies, which gets us into the book Humankind by Rutger Bregman, which I think is really important to put in at this point in the story. So why don't you tell us the back plot of Lord of the Flies, which was by a very, very unhappy man who was an alcoholic, by the way, and got picked up as our standardized reality for human nature. So talk about Lord of the Flies for a bit, and I'll supply the next part, Zeus. Yeah, I mean, Lord of the Flies, which got, I think, a Nobel Prize even, right? It did. You did get a Nobel Prize. I'm forgetting the author's name. Golding, Uh, William Golding. William Golding created a tale, I think, that was rightfully pointed out as as a, a real achievement in literature, okay? But at the same time, it was it was very misanthropic, and he he himself was quite misanthropic, alcoholic, and so forth. And it was one way of him exercising his demons. Now I, I appreciate that. I appreciate people exercising their demons artistically to help get at the human condition. But I think it got misconstrued as a kind of last word on the human nature. Yeah, it did. It was right? actually picked up right. as. The basis for our modern understanding that modern man is bad and we will compete. We will gnaw each other's arms off if, if a push comes to shove to yeah. win and to survive. And this went, this went, yeah, it went hand in hand with eugenics, which was happening in the 20s and the 30s. Believe it or not, Hitler got his eugenics from the United States and Britain. That's where the big movements were. Yes. And it got its uh, impetus also from Darwin, the survival of the fittest. You watch these, you know, nature documentaries that you don't like to watch with a slow motion leopard just tears down gazelles. And it's, again, programming, programming, programming that life is brutish, nasty, and short, to use Hobbes's term. And that we best we can ex- expect is to remove ourselves from that threat using robots and other kinds of conveniences. And then to create a kind of idealized fantasy that rises above or that places us alongside that world, rather than more deeply engaging that world, transforming ourselves in that world to be more compassionate, more connected, more sustainable. And so what we're doing is essentially stepping back from that. And Lord of the Flies had all these boys getting stranded on an island and they had all these weird rituals and they were all basically nasty and it was all dysfunctional and it was killing each other in the end oriented yeah and and killing each other i mean through competition only a few survived it so let me say let me share what what bregman brought in he what he did was he toward the beginning of his book humankind uh where he's setting out to set the record straight no we're not brutish we're not um we're not all wired to succeed at the expense of another. And then point in fact, he talked about the book, Lord of the Flies, 
Then he brought out what happened in the 1960s in a real situation in which six Tongan boys who cut school one day took off in their, their little boat and they ended up um, being swept away in a storm. And they literally lived the experience that those boys in Lord of the Flies were, you know, report, had, had uh, been depicted living. But instead, it was quite the opposite. The first thing they did was make a rule, we will not quarrel because this is challenging. And they ended up being found a year later and they had created everything they needed for their survival. They had used tree trunks to create water wells. They'd even taken things that they'd found around the island and put them together and made little weights so they could keep their strength up. And they were in good spirits and strong and healthy and completely cooperative and collaborative even though they had all those hormones of young males. It was the exact opposite reality to what William Golding tried to put out. And the psycho, I think the psychiatric industry even kind of picked up as a model for humanity. Yeah. And didn't they even have a badminton like game set yeah, that they, they had, had games that, yeah. <laughs> they had games they constructed. They were inventive were recreation brilliant. went on and on. You know, and, and this is what this is where we have to say whoa, we have been really programmed. We've been really set up. It was the good cop, bad cop. The bad cop was human nature is horrible. Original sin, we're depraved. And the good cop was, but we can be saved by our own genetic engineering and becoming androids and, and having robots serve us. And instead of that, I, again, challenge the philosophy of that, of, of us as human beings being able to compare and be compassionate for each other, like those boys actually were as the original blessing, rather right. than the original sin mentality. And, and an example, a recent example, that the truckers convoy in Canada, again, trying to compassionately say, listen, everyone's civil rights need to be respected. You should not be discriminated based on what you've chosen in terms of masks or vaccines, that we all are equal. And then how did the news media spin that? Much like these same guys, and they're, they're connected to the Great Reset, by the way. They, they said these guys were Nazis and alt-writers. Well, if you've watched any live feeds that I have of those or listened to live interviews, these are people of pure heart. There are no Nazis among them. They're helping each other. They're bringing food. There's a sense of music and, and fun. And both up in Canada, but the more moderate one here in the United States, where they're actually trying to make real changes happen so that people can make their own choices around these very personal. Nothing like what our media did. Right. Yeah. And even fairly, uh, Brett Weinstein, we, we just watched him uh, on one of his things. Uh, uh, Aubrey, uh, Aubrey Marcus was interviewing them, and he said, even one of his friends that he really respected say, oh, those were a bunch of alt-right Nazis. So even people who are fairly enlightened or so-called progressive or even spiritually are susceptible to this, susceptible to just absorbing and being programmed by this information and not actually finding out and connecting with the real life, down on the ground, analog, <laughs> spiritual, emotional, compassionate example. So we have to question ourselves on that. Do not let somebody tell you what human nature is or what those people over there are or what those people are, are over there. Go out, make those connections, meet up with them, have coffee with them. You and I have done this with our Mormon neighbors and find ways to create that sense of connection. I couldn't agree more. To me, that's the saving grace. We cannot afford to lose connection with one another. And as you know, Zeus, I'm really big on that. I'm really big on taking the time, just as I would for my work. I take the time for my friendships. I take time to foster them. I make time for my girlfriends to get together and listen to each other, talk, create, uh, whatever it is we wish to share. To me, that is a ton amount of importance to have the human connection. Um, and then you're getting feedback also. If you're not just living in your own silo, you say, well, I experienced this. And they say, you know, I did too, but I didn't feel that way about it. That's important to have that reflection come back. And I was thinking about what a wonderful experiment it would be at this point in our history where we are so siloed it, to have a conversation with someone we disagree with on a topic, someone we love or care for, but we may hold a different point of view and feel what it's like to begin negotiating 
back together again, to be able to express your truth, let them express their truth. Try to see if there's some kind of common ground. This sounds like a no-brainer, but that's not happening in the world that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Your well, thoughts? Well, it's, it, I've, it, I've been surprised by this and give you actual practical examples. I worked, I'm a fairly, I, I'm, I'm an independent, really. You and I are, you can't really classify us, but most people would see us as liberal or progressive, right? Uh, spiritually and otherwise. Um, but we don't see ourselves that way. We just see ourselves as human beings and, and we have certain cares. But I've been teaming up with people in the community that have been considered conservative Republican. We're finding we have a lot of common values. We believe in parental rights. We believe that people should have free and informed choice. And we're willing to fight together for those. You know, even things for me like gun rights and, 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 uh, things I had never really considered or I kind of fell back from. I'm like, I can see some wisdom in that because I saw what happened on Australia. They didn't have it. Then the police started basically literally keeping people in their homes. And they're like, what do we do? It is a police force against us. So, um, so I began to, to understand. I, I can say you've had to stretch a lot on yes. some of these issues um, You were, yeah. where you had clearly held points of view and now you see and that's what we all have to do is open up to see the nuanced points of views of where others actually have a point, even if it doesn't fit our political or even spiritual viewpoint, hear them out and see where we do have common ground. This common ground, I think, is what's going to save us. And you were just speaking of that. Yes. And the fact is, I didn't have to be converted. I just had to open myself to, to do two things, open myself to reality. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I was for Medicare for all, but then I'm realizing, wait, if the government controls that and then they use, say, forced vaccines or you don't get your health care, I'm like, whoa, that's not a good thing. So I begin to open my mind to other points of view. And even though I agreed with something, I understand that it could be corrupt or it could be administered poorly. And I need to work with other people on the ground because they were also talking about their state and national Republican parties being corrupt. So we, we, had, we had commonality there too. It's like, and we started talking about creating a vocational center, not just trying to prepare everyone for college. I'm saying, I completely agree with that. We need a reinvigoration of community in which people have real learned skills. So all this great will agreement and willingness to work together is now being created because we have so much of this pressure from the top down. They're not even, you know, like Harari and these guys, they're not even, they're saying the quiet part out loud. They're saying, we're going to control you. What you're going to do about it. We're going to program you and make you extensions of our perfect world and engineering project. What you're going to do about it. Well, here's what we're doing about it. Exactly. You and I. And in the real world, the fact is, if you look at humanity and all of the things that each one of us is uniquely interested in, skilled at, it's shocking if you took 100 people, you'd find out there are people who want to do figure out a plumbing situation at home, who want to work in the yard, who want to bake bread, who want to delve into law or electrical work. They're each one of us has all these curiosities and talents within us. And by, ex- by being allowed to express those creates a complex functional society. We don't need robots to be taught all of these things. We have it within us. It's just so easy to take the low hanging fruit, which is, eh, I'm not going to bother learning. I'll just keep watching my videos. We can't afford to buy into that. And it really, it's fostered a type of really deep laziness. I think yeah. intellectually, intellectual curiosity has gone down and mm-hmm. laziness to perform anything on our own behalf. We're lazy now. And serendipity, compassion for each other and collective problem solving has also, on the other hand of that, uh, Barbara Shearer, uh, S-H-E-R, I think her name is, she gave a TEDx talk and she brought up two things. She gets people together and she says, what's your dream? And then what's your obstacle to that? Yeah, that's now, great. But they crowdsource it. She's yeah. in these groups of people, and some of the brilliant, some of the coincidences are just like <laughs> gobsmacking. Brilliant. A person wants to go on a trip, and turns out another person in the room has a had won in a raffle a single trip to this and doesn't want to go on a trip by themselves. Was able literally to give that ticket to that person who wanted to go on the trip. 
And, and, and she gave several examples in this video that happened when we're specific about what stands in our way mm -hmm. and we line up with each other to help ourselves meet those problems. And before you know it, you've got pure lending or time banking where we're helping each other in our community and we're loving it. We're loving the sense of giving, we're loving the sense of receiving and none of that can happen in this program world because giving, receiving, sharing, having joy, creativity, these are not programmable activities. They're not predictable, controllable activities. They're serendipitous, wonderful, spiritual, growthful activities. And that's really where the real new nirvana is, not in some programmed state in which everything is already predetermined. We might even have to consider going back to vacuuming our own floors. <laughs> Instead of yep. that little, that little that robot. robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cats riding around on. Anyway, yeah, I think we need to give ourselves a kick in the pants. Enjoy, enjoy these shows for entertainment. Enjoy mm -hmm. them for uh, a glimpse into some of the programming that's attempting mm -hmm. to be done at our expense and start weaning ourselves off of what's artificial. Again, connecting with one another, connecting with nature, these are the most important things we do. And the people who have looked into humanity deep into the future, it's a positive outcome. It's usually not a dystopian outcome. Even algorithms that have looked into the future, humans do progress. And the way we're going to do it is by sticking together and rejecting the programming from the outside, the artificial programming. Anything else you want to say, Zeus, before we sign off? Well, Regina, you had talked about the fact in which there are human analogs to our programming. Our own subconscious programs us to a certain degree. Yes. Um, and we have an astral body. We have subtle bodies around us that, of course, none of these robotic, atheistic, <laughs> material, scientific materialists recognize. But if anything, I think these pro robot shows shows me that we have to look in all the ways that we are programmed, either by our subconscious, by society, by media, critically. Right. We all have to develop critical media illiteracy as long as financial literacy and spiritual and community literacy as well. But in knowing that there are things that unconsciously drive that critically opening them up and then, but also on the positive side, opening our hearts and finding ways to be inspired. That is literally inspirited, right? Then all of a sudden those two can come together. The, the, the programming can be exposed including our own subconscious programming as well, as well as these other forms. And the inspiration can then guide that. And, and in that great movie we watched, Metropolis, it says the mediator be between the head and the hand must be the heart. That was the ending of it. It's just a wonderful 1920s film that had the robot theme you and I did as research for this. Yes. And that is really the motto to leave everyone with. What is the heart? The heart is not programmable. The heart is a caring, creative, connecting organ and energy. And if we have something that bothers us and that's painful, let's not try to engineer it out. Let's actually try to hold it, bring it up, hold it up, open our hearts to that suffering, instead of denying it or trying to engineer it out and then bring in spirit, bring in higher entities, guides, our own astral selves and whatever we need to help it, all the aspects of humanity that cannot be captured by ones and zeros to meet it. And it's that meeting which makes us human. It's that meeting which makes us beautiful and be able to experience this quantum self that we are. And that I think we need the new science of <laughs> and the new art do. of. <laughs> I think we do. And for anybody who hasn't already seen them, if you go back, look a couple faces back on the page here or on the YouTube channel, you'll see Father Sean Olar, the Druid. Um, we spoke recently about how you go in and you start discerning what are these programs that I've been carrying. And then you start looking at how we begin expanding and transforming so we can do this. We, there are tools. You just said we need new spiritual technologies and they're already here. That was a wonderful interview. And then the next one with Tannis Hallowell, just before this one here with Yuzus, is also beautiful, teaching us the necess necessity and our deep ability to be able to communicate with 
our own body and intelligence that is literally living in and between our cells, which knows all. It's connected to the all. It's connected to soul. So we have the means of doing this, of looking at our programming with these different techniques. And we'd be remiss not to recommend people come to a very heart-based community, ourneighborhood.earth, which That's is Regina, the one that Regina and I started along with Diana and a few others, that is really meant to do that kind of heart-based connection. Absolutely. And uh, so ourneighborhood.earth, there's a small fee to be a part of it, but it keeps the trolls out. And it's really about contributing high-frequency connection-oriented stuff. Uh, to, to allow that original blessing of life to come forward and be developed and be our guiding. A lot of very beautiful souls, very truthful people, and people really sharing from from the heart, but also with a, a lot of spiritual knowledge. It's a really nice community. So yes, thank you for mentioning that. And I was also going to trumpet your, your future books, Regina. Uh, she's going to create these user's guides that are going to be very spiritually based Human, human technologies yes. rather than robotic technologies yes. or genetic engineering technologies about the soul, about intuition, about reincarnation. So yes. that's coming down the pike too. And, you know, you can look forward to more interviews and, and little, little pieces on that as well. Thank you for bringing that up too, because I always forget to, but yes, I'm working on it. So Zeus, thank mm -hmm. you so much. It's been a really fun conversation, but it's also very important. I don't think there that you know we can be glib and laugh about it because we're human beings. If we were robots, we probably wouldn't be laughing about it. But the reality is we do need to take the sovereignty of our hearts and minds back. So thank you so much for um, joining me on this interview, Zeus. And I'll be seeing you in a few minutes upstairs. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you found this a really stimulating food for thought. We have to decide how. And to what degree we're going to engage with artificial intelligence because we're being overrun by it, overwhelmed. Absolutely. It's coming at us from all directions now. And my personal belief is we need to really be discerning and start uh, taking back our sovereignty by turning off all screens, including the screen you're watching right now. So um, you can find Zeus at citizenzeus.com for more commentary. You can find more interviews with us here on my site, reginameredith.com. And so until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And you might also want to consider joining Patreon, which allows me to keep all of this content free and available to everyone. And if you're looking for like-minded souls, you might also enjoy my online community called Our Neighborhood. Links to join are in the description.